The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhezo Mabete on SAFM. Hi, good evening. My name is Yasmin Suka. I'm a human rights lawyer and I work on dealing with crimes of the past. And I'm really pleased to um, welcome two guests who have been comrades that I've walked this journey with for a very long time. Tembi Nkadimeng, the mayor in um, one of our um, areas in South Africa, and Moray Hawthorne, Tembi's lawyer, um, who's a human rights lawyer and who's also worked this journey with her. Tembi, you were a teenager when your sister, Nakatula Similani, was abducted. And in fact, this has colored your whole life. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the story of your sister and your journey to try and find the truth about what happened to her? Thank you, Yasmin, and good evening to our listeners. I actually wasn't even a teenager. I was nine years old. I was just a child when my sister disappeared. And... uh, started a very long journey joining my mother and my father in a painful search to find their daughter. And it subsequently landed us into the TRC. Prior 1990, we were searching with no very leads to follow, very difficult terrain. As you know, the dispensation of apartheid, it wasn't easy to ask anybody about a a woman or a girl who was termed a terrorist. But we had hopes and aspirations when the new government took over and we went and subjected ourselves into the processes of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. My father and my mother gave testimony. We began to receive clues of information from some of the police who knew and abducted her, kidnapped her, and appeared before the TRC. Unfortunately for us, our case was one of those which were not resolved. Over 400 cases were then referred to the NPA for further investigation with possible criminal charges being placed on those who did not receive amnesty. And that search has been going on until today. And it has been a very difficult one to to understand, but it has been a very difficult one to pursue. But also it has been a painful and a greater sense of betrayal, actually, to what Noctula stood for, to what she fought for, and what she possibly did. But we soldier on, we believe that not only for Noctula, but for many other families will ultimately get to the bottom of what happened prior to the democratic dispensation. Thank you, Tembi. One of the things that has always impressed me about you is how you always remember that you're not alone in the struggle, but that, in fact, your journey is symbolic of the journey that many of the families of victims have had to undergo. And I think that's so encouraging for the other families I want to turn to Moray now. Moray, you have walked this journey with 
Tembe. And in fact, um, when we first met, you were doing cases for the Industrial Aid Society. And you were also one of those lawyers who could have gone the commercial way, but you remained in the human rights field. It would be useful to hear from you about how you came to work in this field of human rights and what has also kept you inspired walking this really difficult journey with Tembi and her family. You know, I, I, I started my articles in Johannesburg in a, in a big commercial law firm in 1980, Weber Wenzel. And um, it started there um, with the, under the auspices of Lawyers for Human Rights at the time. Um, the, the group areas cases, prosecutions of, it was mainly Indian and colored people moving into Hillbrow at that time, which of course was a white group area. And um, so that's where my involvement started. And um, with those cases, with, and, and I had several cases allocated to me, Professor John Dugard was really in charge. He was at Kells at the time and also had a high post in Lawyers for Human Rights. And it was in that context that I became involved in human rights work. And um, I came into the Industrial Aid Society because... As I recall, it was after the death of Dr. Neil Agate and the detentions of people working in the Industrial Aid Society that a group of us were called in to assist on Saturday mornings in the early 80s. And so I worked there as well for quite a number of years. And that's where I met you. <laughs> Strange. Big yes. <laughs> yes. So... Um. So, Yasmin, yes, that's, that's how I came into this work. And, of course, the 1980s was a, a time. And then, you know, then, of course, there were the, the states of emergency were declared. And one became involved in, in assisting detainees and in, in representing detainees. And so one's, um, or certainly in my case, um, one's commitment and one's uh, values were, were formed in that context. And um, a feeling, I think, that unless lawyers came to the fore, um, the rule of law and, and, and a society based on the rule of law, would um, the chances of that would, would slip away and that one had to do something to um, promote those values and to try and ensure that the law was their protector of people across the board. Thank you, More. And just to remind our listeners, my guests tonight are Tembi Inkarimen, the sister of Nakatule Samalani, who was abducted during the years of apartheid, and Tembi's family are still searching for the truth about her. And my second guest is More Hawthorne, um, an attorney at Weber Wenzel's, a human rights lawyer, who has walked this journey with Tembi and her family and many other families are victims. We are going to take a two-minute ad break, and then we will come back um, to our guests. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. 
Songezo Mapepe on SAFM. Good evening, SAFM listeners. My name is Yasmin Suka, and for my sins, I've been turned into um, the the producer of tonight's show <laughs> for Viewpoint. And my guests tonight are Timbi Nkadimeng and Moray Hawthorne. And we're now going to open up the line for questions. So if you'd like to dial in, the number is 011-714-2006. And Songezo is laughing because uh, the producer. <laughs> so you can see I'm a little off my beat tonight. You're doing well, Judge. You're doing well. Thank you. <laughs> um, so while we wait for the questions, I'll go back to Tembi and ask Tembi, emotionally, Tembi, what has this journey meant for you? A roller coaster. A roller coaster has been a very painful one. Some days I'm, I'm glad, I'm happy um, that the world, uh, South Africa view my sister as a hero. Um, I drive around town where we were born and bred in Petal, Pumalanga. There's a giant statue. There's a big hall named after her. Uh, there are branches uh, named after her. You could drive in Nelspreet, Bombela. There are government departments named after her. And I feel, well, uh, I think she, she stood up uh, at a time when it was not fashionable and it was very difficult. At another moment, I feel so sad, um, so painful that I will actually break into tears uh, because it, it's a story that never gives you closure. And I do think all of us, in one way or another, has faced death in our families. And you get to heal you get to accept it and, and, and time give you that space to reconcile with yourself with the loss and life continues. But Noctula's journey unfortunately doesn't give us that. Uh, there are always lingering questions that uh, some go unanswered until today. 36 years plus on um, you, you see people who grew up with her, you wonder if they they know anything by chance that they possibly are not telling you. Uh, it just doesn't allow the pain to go away. Uh, but I've also seen the anguish it has caused to my mom. Uh, it's indescribable, actually. Yes. yes, it's indescribable that, you know, the past uh, uh, weekend I went home to visit her. And uh, like any other 81-year-old, she begins to talk about, in, in case I die, uh, my days are getting shorter and shorter. They are getting numbered. Uh, please do this for me in case you find a bury her properly. In case you don't find a do a memorial. Because she can't bring herself to the closure that she possibly is not alive. And if she's not, what happened to her? And I think it has eaten her alive since 1983 to date. It's a very painful story. And really, I think um, 
all of our support for both you and your mother. We have a caller on the line, Makubela. So I'm going to take that call. Hi, good evening, Yasmin and your guests. Good evening. Yes, uh, thank you for taking my call. Mr. Makwela, go for it, please. Thank you, thank you, Sangazo. It's it's quite painful, but it shouldn't end there. My question is in relation to the issue of reparations and the issue of justice, if we really need to have accountability for apartheid, the wheels of justice have been too slow. Hmm? What is the NPA doing about the issue of apartheid accountability? There are so many families who've been bereaved. Actually, most of them don't even know what happened to their loved ones. And this seems to be a chapter that has been closed and sealed because it's a chapter that belongs to African South Africans. The second point I'd like to raise is it will take what for the NPA to wake up from its slumber. Because it's not just the issue of those who are murdered. There are those who went into exile, but there are those who've been robbed of their future. So how do we begin to open this picture to say, this is what apartheid has done. We start here, we end there. I work in a space where I deal with unemployed graduates. Uh, Tembi knows me. And so many of these graduates are so unemployed and there's little future for them. They did the noble thing and went to school. And when you look into that, it has actually has an effect, apartheid has had an effect to what we're going through even today. And you'll have people coming to claim that we're blaming apartheid on everything. It's very silly to do that and say that. So as I close, I'm asking you to say, Yasmin, you're in the TRC. Why was there no reparation? We're still waiting for that today because apartheid was crammed to humanity. I thank you. Kamako, thank you. Thank you um, for that, um, Makubela. We are engaged with the National Prosecutorial Authority to try and see how we can fast-track these cases. We're also, you know, asking the government to really look into this question of reparations because we recognize that, in fact, the families and the children of many of the victims of apartheid continue to suffer the ravages of apartheid, and the unemployment that you speak about is almost directly um, linked to that. Um, we do have um, another caller, Greg in Kahuso, who's a first-time caller, and so um, we're going to open the line and take his question as well. Greg? Greg, are you there? Um, yeah, thanks for taking my call. Pretty much uh, covered by the last caller. Um, I just want to find out from you, uh, Yasmin, that um, um, 
last week there was the the, the public hearings, uh, the submissions in Parliament about uh, the land expropriation without compensation, and the NC Women's League in particular raised the issue of reparations and in detail of how they proposed it's supposed to happen. Um, I'm I'm going to raise it again because maybe it's a slightly different angle, but I want to get from you to say. Um, you know, going back to that time of the TRC, um, was were we subverted as a country in achieving what we thought we were achieving when actually we weren't? We we're just being sold a carrot. Uh, because if you look at what the way things are happening today, it's like we're, we're back there. We're still talking about the same thing. You know, you look at a country like Rwanda that went through the genocide that it went in, and you look at its uh, prosperity today or the trajectory of its of its project of its um, 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 sorry. Um, if you look at the trajectory of its prosperity, um, is it because they dealt with what they had to deal with at the time? And they, thus they were able to move on. And is that what is still subverting us today? And, yeah, the issue of reparations, how are we supposed to deal with that from a legal perspective? Do we need a referendum? Do we need what cause of action can society take to the, the majority of Greg, Greg, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to interrupt you now. We are well into news by a full two minutes, even though it is an hour since the last time we had a news break. I think the gist of your question has been registered with the guests. I yes. beg your <laughs> indulgence, please, Mr. Greg Hose. Thank you You very have much. to understand it's a day like no other in the broadcast space tonight. On the viewpoint. Hi, good evening. My name's Yasmin Suka, and I've stepped in tonight for Songezo. And my guests tonight are Tembi Nkarimeng and Moray Hawthorne. And we're going to take a final caller tonight. KGM, who's an entrepreneur and he's based in the Republic of South Africa, but he's always moving around the country. KGM, over to you. Good evening, uh, Judge. Good evening, Bumma. Uh, very humbled to, to have the stalwarts of our country. Um, Songezo and the team, you should bring more of them so that we can we can hear uh, these abilities that uh, we are, we are listening to. It's, it's quite encouraging. I will indulge that KGM. I promise. <laughs> okay, straight to it. Um, can, can I can I rub uh, uh, you 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 uh, our senior citizens the wrong way? Yes, you I have, can. I have this complaint against you. I'm of the view that um, as a young boy, when when I participated at, at CODESA um, as a student leader back then, and, and I fast forward to today, I feel we have betrayed the country. We've betrayed our people. When we sit today and we try to fix something that was long broken, and we know that it will never benefit our people, and none of us who was at Cordesa has the guts to challenge the the current elite that are our leaders supposedly to say, but what was the agreement at Cordesa? You see, we keep on having these problems mushrooming as if they are new, but they are not. These are by design and 
as senior citizens like yourselves, you know this. You are part of the process. Why are we not stopping to to mislead the young and upcoming and just being honest to say apartheid did not end because there were pressure as it was it was said and all it is because apartheid became too expensive to to the architects to the owners to those who benefited from it and systematically we had to be forced technically to agree to something that today we know does not benefit us so as our city our eldest citizens you you are the living encyclopedia can i please beg of you to tell us why are we not talking to the details of the codesa agreement Songezo, and 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 all the the the, the senior citizens thanks for, for, for indulging thank so, so. you ktm um, I think we need another program to deal really with the questions you have raised. So I'm to, going to go to my guests and I'm going to give each of them um, an opportunity to make a closing comment. Moray, over to you. Well, Yasmin, on this topic which has just been raised now, I, obviously it's, it's, it's a matter of economic policy and so on, which frankly is, is beyond my expertise other than to say that you know in terms of of the use of the law to hopefully stabilize people's lives that might give them a chance and and play some small role in assisting people to make something of their lives um <clears throat> a damages claim for the Kadimeng family the, the, the Similani family, um, in terms of proper reparations, might well assist a number of them to, to get on the track economically. But that's a very limited thing. Um, and uh, in terms of the overall economic policy, which I think the last gentleman is talking about, I think that's a debate, as you say, for another day and for other experts as well. Thank you, Moray. Um, Tendi? I, I think I'll touch on what Makubele said, and you responded to it briefly, because it represents each and every family, even uh, the, the, the case which is known and unknown, is that the NPA and the government of today need to take responsibility in ensuring that it brings closure to those families. By the way, reparations were not only about uh, looking for the unknown. They are Children who are buried in graveyards, which we know, who just need to be exhumed, taken back to their families for them to have closure. And there's quite a number of areas in which we could be able to avail ourselves as government to assist families to find closure. And if we can do that in a dedicated manner, it could also be able to bring closure to a certain extent to families who still walks today carrying the pain. I think they need to own up to that and we close these issues. Thank you, Yasmin. Thank you, Tembi, and thank you, More. I think both of you inspire not only me but our listeners because what's really very clear is that your passion and commitment really drives this journey for the truth. Um, and thank you, Sangezo, for giving me the opportunity 
to host this program this evening. But as you can see, you need to get us back another time so we can really deal with all of the questions raised Most by certainly. the listeners. That will happen, and there are no two ways about that. I do appreciate how beautifully you have engaged what in many respects is an emotive topic. It is a very painful one, as the story was so clear in the account of Ms. Ngadi Meng. Thank you. I'm going to call you judge. If not in reflection, <laughs> certainly then as a prophecy. The bench does need this compassion. The bench does need this historical context to many of the disputes that it finds presiding over. If for nothing else, it would be a just reward for a life of passion and service in making sure human rights enjoy their rights. Thank you so much, Masuka. We do appreciate this. Thank you, and thank you to my guest tonight. 21.13, that was the conversation, folks. All things about accountability for apartheid crimes and matters incidental thereto. We have to move on. As Brafinia says, the show must go on, for the show must be tight. After the break, final segment, hashtag African Narrative.